got time for one muddy-fisted salute as the fans here, uh, they don't seem to be minding it all that much. Raincoats are out, a few umbrellas here and there, but you know what? These tough, hardy Minnesota fans are used to this. This is just uh, keeps you from having to take a bath when you go home. And I'm impressed with Hepler's one-hander in the mud. I, he couldn't pry my fingers off the bars in this kind of conditions. Well, Brock Hepler heading for home here on his Makita Suzuki. Looking good for the overall win in a muddy Millville track that just went to heck in a heartbeat. I mean, there was so little warning other than the black sky. And look at this. It's still foggy. The lenses on our cameras are fogging up. And uh, Brock Hepler just grinning through the mud. As he heads for the finish line, jump. And he even... Got a little bit of air over the jump there to salute the crowd. A Pulp MX Network production. A series of the most exciting action imaginable. Welcome to the Leanne Re-Raceables presented by Maxis Tires, Scott Goggles, and Pro Taper. Mathis and Weed revisit the instant classics from yesteryear, spotlighting those historic moto moments that simply never grow old. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Liat Re-Raceables podcast. We are back for 2022. Thanks to Liat uh, for making that happen, man. And thanks to you people, man. We get a lot of comments about this podcast on social and uh, on text message and industry people and everything else. So really, really enjoy doing it. So we're back for 2022. Uh, I'm Steve Mathis. With me to uh, discuss old races with the people that were involved in them, it's Jason Wigand. What's up, Weege? Yeah. These are fun. Happy to be here. Yeah. He's one of my old buddies. One of my breaking into the sport with the now long lost Brock Hepler. So good to put him back on the radar here a little bit. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We're, the race we're doing, Millville 2006. You may remember this as a complete mud race, and it was in the second motos. First motos were okay. Um, and then the reins opened, and Carmichael lapped everyone at this race. And I want to talk to Luigi about that in a little bit as well, because I have some questions about that that feat okay. um but uh, we'll get into that and much more we uh talking about coming back on this re-raceables pod from Liat. uh yeah um numbers are good we're stoked with the listens there's no doubt uh but the, the amount of texts and social stuff that we get on this podcast uh, is really surprising uh people love this podcast uh, if you if you you don't just like this podcast you love it and you're all in you know yeah that's the, always the key with the retro stuff it's easy to get ahead of yourself because the people that love it Really love it. So we get a lot more strong feedback. Yeah. But, you know, it's kind of a niche thing, right? You're, you're in the club. Are you in the club or are you out? If you're listening to this, you know how good these are. We love doing them. Yeah. And we love catching up with these old riders. Uh, I think it's under the radar uh, for some. I wish more fans of the current racing would realize how many parallels. There's a lot you can learn about racing today. Agreed. Uh, if you listen to these. Yeah, yeah. agreed. Agreed. Uh, I've just, I just thought about that, um, you know, in one of our preview shows. I went back a little bit and, and started thinking about some of the stuff that we've seen from riders over the years. And, and yeah, it, it helped me relate to the racing in 2022, or at least what I think I'm going to see in 2022, you know? So, yeah. I'll give you a, I'm going to give you a prime example. I'm not even going to be one of these riders that gives you generalizations, right? 
Are you ready? Yeah. So we go into Supercross this year, and there are certain, you know, very talented, very good riders coming through the ranks, and you think for sure, for sure they're going to win races, they're going to battle for the title, maybe it's inevitable that they will win a title someday. We do enough of these to notice how many times everything seems to line up for a rider, and it doesn't work out. And it's yeah. like a cautionary tale. Like, So if you're the Sexton, Ferrandis, AC, uh, Plessinger types right now, right? we have seen riders in their position succeed, but we've also seen riders in their position fail. It always seems like the high draft picks are always going to hit. But, hey, Hepler's a perfect example here. It didn't work out. It sure should have. It just didn't. So this is another example yeah, of that. And, and again, you brought this up on somewhere, maybe the Lee at Re-Raceables, like Ivan Tedesco, three-time champion. Guess what? Ivan Tedesco would not win a 450 race in his career. Yeah, there's no way anyone thought that. There's no, there's no chance. There's no chance. Yeah. No, that he'll never even win a 450 Supercross. Right. Yeah. Right. So that's that's the, just an, a small example of how sometimes these you got to look back at history really in depth to understand the present time. So thanks to Lee at Lee at .com, uh, for more information. If you want a code from those guys, uh, use the contact form of PulpMX. Uh, I'll pass it on or I'll send you a code to save at Lee at uh, They're on board with the Moto Concepts guys again, of course. Uh, different people ride for different reasons, yet there's a common denominator that binds everyone who puts their body in the line for the sheer enjoyment of it. And this is what Lee at offers as a brand. They make protective wear, helmets, goggles, riding gear, knee braces, boots, neck braces. Liat.com for more information on that. Great stuff. I've got some uh, some Liat mountain bike stuff as well. Uh, they work really well together. They've redesigned that original neck brace from way back in the day to to be much, much more uh, streamlined and, and, and better fitting and all that. Liat.com. Thanks to the folks at Max's Tires, Scott Goggles, and new ones, Pro Taper. Uh, Pro Taper came on. They see the value of this podcast. We each, when I, when I, when I tell you about Pro Taper, what do you, what do you think of? Oh, right off the rip? Ah, oh, you got to think of that first tapered handlebar run by Damon Bradshaw, baby. Yeah, that thing oh, blew yeah. everybody's minds. You're like, what is happening with that photo? He has no crossbar. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so yep. Pro Taper, they, start, they sponsor the Star Yamaha team, and in case you didn't know, they go through a lot of product, and they go through a lot of wins with Pro Taper as well. So ProTaper.com for more information on that. Okay, so uh, thanks to those guys. Uh, 2006 Millville. This is all you, Weege. Like, we're kicking around in our group text about what to do, who to call, what race we're doing. We're working on McGrath, by the way. We're working on some guys to, to track them down. You come out of nowhere, not with Carmichael at this race, because he laps up to second place. He laps second place in the second moto. But with, hey, let's do Millville 20, 2006 and let's get Hepler. This was all your your call here. Yeah, because what we try to do on this is I the, the race where Carmichael lapped the field and honestly, just general podcasts and interviews, you're going to hear Carmichael 17 weekends in a row on Supercross. There is no shortage of Ricky Carmichael's stories out there. He's probably talked about this race 100 times. So what we try to do here is tell you what you haven't heard. And again, no one is thinking about or talking about Brock Hepler these days at all. So I wanted to pick a Hepler win. I wanted to pick his brain about his career. It is amazing to think that Hepler at one point was right there with, say, Oh, Ryan Villapoto, like right there, right there with him. He's with totally underrated. He's totally underrated. Yes. So you have Villapoto and uh, Dunge, who go on to be two of the best riders ever. And at one point, you're like, I don't know. I wonder who's better out of those three. So I always am intrigued by those types of stories. So that's why I wanted to talk to Hepler. Hepler's won a bunch of races. Um, he, 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 yeah, like multiple national wins, um, supercross yeah. races. He was, the Suzuki bikes weren't very good when he was on it either. Um, 
and you go yeah, way back with, on them. and yep. you go way back with BHEP. I didn't really think about this either. Yeah, it's funny how it worked. Uh, I also reference him for this, and I'll we, we we'll talk to him here, and I'll ask him about this. When I broke into the sport in the early two thousands, the local fast rider, that's just they were just the local fast rider. Like I'm sure that's how you grew up, right? You would see a guy to the local track who was really fast, and then the hope was that maybe he would get picked up by a better team and become a factory pro. You know, so I grew up in New Jersey. There was this kid, Jason Lawrence. Ever hear of him? Mm-hmm. He'd race every weekend. How, are we gonna, are we going to get him on here? Ah, uh, I don't know. He was in this race, by the way. He was in it. He was, and he uh, followed me on Instagram the other day. Oh, well, just reach out. DM okay, him. yeah, I'm All sure. Right. So then I moved to the West Virginia area to work for Racer X, and I had to go to the cover of the local races, which were High Point and Steel City, and Brock Hepler, who was one of the fastest amateurs in the country, would just race at his local track every weekend. It was totally normal for like the first 30 years of motocross that the local fast guy would win all his local races, go to a couple of big events, and get discovered. Now, nobody does that. Who does that anymore, Steve? Does anyone do that? No, and, and it's really sad. But, yes, the, the factory yes. riders used to just show up and ride. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, you just raced your local track and then maybe did Loretta's, uh, Minio's, whatever, a couple other big ones. So that's what Hepler did. It seemed normal at the time. And what's interesting is uh, I think 04, uh, 03, 04 is basically when he turned pro. So that's also right around the time that the Millsaps training facility really became a thing. And that flipped everything seriously within about 24 months the entire process of how you make it in the sport had flipped completely and now 20 years later it's unrecognizable you these dudes don't race they don't race no no they really don't um so you got to hang out with hep as an amateur and nicole gress was suzuki then and they had a program man they They were pumping out starting with tp and probably keeping going right yeah, yeah, and let's not forget the the uh, the outsized influence of, of Jeff Cernick. I mean, Cernick and Cernick Suzuki, I mean, they, that was just powerhouse. Like, everybody knew Cernick. Cernick was a player. And then if you lived in the Pennsylvania area where Cernick's dealerships were, I mean, everybody rode Suzuki's. Steve, I'm not joking. It was like 90% of the bikes on the gate. <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Suzuki contingency was always good, right? Yeah, it was. Yeah. That was always known. Uh, and then you had the Cernick influence in that area, with also including Pastrana. Um, so these were ha- high... High times, heydays for Suzuki, and I was just like, yeah, eventually Hepler's going to win national championships as a pro. Like, he's going to do it. It's going to be awesome for the people in this area. And uh, unfortunately, he had a massive concussion and never really recovered. And also, that's another thing. I think this was one of the first. We had Donnie Hansen. Obviously, that was really tragic. You know, he never raced again. But uh, we didn't know much about concussions back in these days. It turned out uh, to be a lot more serious than we realized. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, Millsaps was another Suzuki amateur kid from obviously, you know, uh, further south, but they yep. were pumping the amateurs out and good riders at that. Um, yeah, it was. It was yeah, it was Jessamine a, also. Je, yeah, Brandon Jessamine, right. Won a champ, yeah. won a Supercross super title. You, you know, I looked yep. at, I looked at BHEP's uh, results at the, in, the, uh, in the vault on Racer X. The man only won one Supercross. I would have swore he had two or three wins. Uh, never really just saw him win one. Yeah, yeah. If I remember right, is that a uh, round two? Yeah, Phoenix. Yeah, yeah. So we had that perfect storm mud race in 05. Uh He didn't do well there, and then won the next week. And I'm like, all right, he's gonna start winning Supercrosses now. And uh, I think he broke his arm right after that, and that was it for that season. And then 06 here, he missed all of Supercross with a broken foot. So that's two whole seasons. Yeah, they didn't even race basically. Yep. Here's here's something that Hepler 
I always love to bring this up. So the 125 class have been dominated by basically Carmichael and Stu for a long time. You had the 1GL year mixed in there. You had the 1Pastrana year. But basically it had been dominated by these unstoppable forces, right? So 05, they're finally both out of the class. And it's like, okay, who is going – we've had 10 years of this. Who is finally going to take over now that Carmichael and Stu are both out of the class? So the first moto of the year at Hangtown, Hepler wins that moto. And I'm like, there it is. Mm-hmm. And Hepler had gotten, believe it or not, he was second in points to Stewart in 04. Second in points. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, that's it. Hepler's just going to take over. And then, man, most of that summer was just crashes and bad starts. That was a wild, wild season. You had Alessi in there, Tedesco, Langston. Yep. But overall, it, it just points out this underrated um, I don't think people think about him anymore, but there was a time where it was like, who's next after Carmichael and Stu? Maybe it's Brock Hepler. Maybe it's Millsaps. Maybe it's, I don't know, Shorty, something like that. It turned out to be Villapoto and Dungey. But again, not everyone knew that that's the way it was going to go at one point. No, no, I agree with that. Uh, This race is also memorable. This is Ryan Dungey's first ever pro race. Josh Hill's first ever pro race and Brock Tickle. All making their pro debut. Uh, Ryan Dungey, again, I wasn't plugged into the amateurs probably even less back then than I am now, if you can imagine. I'm just like, what? Ryan? Like, who's Ryan Dungey? <laughs> no idea. No idea. He goes 8-8 on, the, on his first first race. Yeah. Yeah, that was – we discussed this when we had uh, Dungey on this show a couple weeks ago. It was one of the most shocking things ever when Roger DeCoster said, yeah, Millsaps is out, Hepler's out. We're moving on to Ryan Dungey. And I was yeah. like, what? What? <laughs> I, like, Millsaps and Hepler are, like, unbeatable. Who is this guy? Yeah. Um, and I remember, okay, so Dunge is interviewed in the show. Did you watch this? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he says he thought he would be more nervous. It is impossible to look more nervous than he looks while he's saying that. <laughs> That's a good point. He looks so freaking nervous. That's a good point. And, and Josh Hill has very high confidence in himself, but does not want to put it out there. But you can tell he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to do really good. Like, I'm yeah, good. Yeah. I'm good. You know? Yes. Yeah. And he doesn't, yes. But he doesn't want to really say it, you know? But um, Yeah, he said he didn't want to put a number on it or say who he thinks he can beat. Yeah. The, but, right. the, but the juxtaposition between Dunge interview and Hill interview is pretty funny when you look at it. Oh, right? God. Yeah. yeah. Hill's got experience you can tell he's confident you know he's the next one you know all that stuff and, and he was and, really supposed to be i mean i don't think there was even any questioning over like who's better hill or dunge he came hill, to our, obviously he came to our super close. he came to our supercross track when he was on 80s i was at yamaha and he was jumping the triples yeah. and everything he looked great and you're just like well that's the next kid you know so yeah yeah totally all my years of going to loretta's i i put hill right up there with almost anybody really so impressive. really dude wow. he was so good yeah. to think that dunge ended up Miles ahead. Just, mm-hmm. I cannot wrap my head around it. I remember Dunge came on uh, DMXS. Remember that show? Mm. Original and still yeah. best. Yeah. You know yeah. those guys? I'm familiar with it. Remember, that. he came on there like a week before this race, and David Iser calls me after the interview. He's like, I just interviewed that Dunge kid. Mentally, man, he doesn't have it. He's a complete mess. He was so nervous. And then I remember we interviewed him in the announcer's tower, maybe the day before, like the day before practice or Friday or uh-huh. something. Again, just. So nervous, so worried. I'm like this poor Ryan Dungey kid. Like mm-hmm. he is melting under this pressure. <laughs> and look how it turned out. Yeah, yeah, really, right? <laughs> um, yeah, good point. Uh, we got the Lee at Re Raceables categories coming up too later on in this pod as well. So 
First motos are dry, basically. Uh, second moto, about halfway through the 251, it starts pouring. The 450 second moto is a disaster, complete mutter. Uh, Pingree's doing the color, and I was who is doing the play-by-play, Weege? Who is that? Uh, it's actually the late uh, Brian Dreber, who passed a couple of years ago, maybe three years ago. I think oh. he was just an all-around, jack-of-all-trades, you know, any type of racing on TV. He was a, a voice for it. So okay. I, I never met Brian, but I no. know when he passed a couple of years ago, most of our TV staff had worked with him. Was Brian a full-time guy with Ping? Because why do I remember someone else being with Ping? I think this particular summer, it was them for oh. every round. Okay. All right. But um, this is uh, – 06 was pretty low brow. the coverage, unfortunately, for uh, the Nationals. This was, was Outdoor like, Life Network, right? <laughs> Yeah, uh, kind of an unknown network. I think the races were on, dude, like, you know, weeks after, in the middle of the night. Um, Pingree's got a great line. He said, the skies are looking darker than a David Lynch film. That was good. <laughs> that was really good. I like that one. <laughs> he had a lot of good ones, dude. Yeah, yeah, that, he did. that was good. Um, yeah, there was something he said, the opening lap of a national is like uh, the checkout line at a like an Ethiopian grocery store or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> I didn't really near that one. Yeah, that was a good but, one. Um, so, uh, speaking of Josh Hill, by the way, uh, 1918. So, yeah, probably got his eyes opened up a little bit, uh, uh, you know, um, 22nd uh, overall. Yes, but, but he did he did get on the podium the very next week at which, Binghamton. Yeah. Which then turned out to be, like, the only good national of his career. Some guy named Justin Brayton is 24th overall, <laughs> 1837. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Hill, uh, Hill gave it his all at Moto One, nineteenth, but he couldn't get Could, that Justin Brayton guy. Couldn't get JB, 18th. who was I think this was Moto World Yamaha for JB, right? Okay, I known know. outdoor warrior. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but uh, oh, and Brian Gray, who just uh, passed yeah. in a car accident a month ago, twenty-one, yep. twenty-one for twenty-sixth overall. Yeah. Man. Um, now uh, I was not at this race. Two thousand six, I was two thousand five. My last year as a mechanic. I was working on the 06 bikes when I left in December. I left Yamaha, and uh, I got a job with Parts Unlimited, um, doing being the FMF guy. And I was going to the Supercross show, Friday night showcases during Supercross, and then going to the race. And then I was visiting dealers a lot. But I got to say, the 2006 Nationals, I don't think I went to too many. Like I bet you, I, if I went to half the series, um, I would be surprised if I did because Parts Unlimited wasn't a big part of the series, outdoor series then. They they sponsored it, but it wasn't as big of a push. And so I was, you know, visiting dealers and traveling with the Parts Unlimited reps and that kind of stuff. So this summer, uh, yeah, I wasn't, um, wasn't at many races, and I wasn't at this one. Oh, wow. Um, did you think there would be a time that you'd uh, be announcing these races that was in your future, that you'd be in the announcer's tower at Nationals? No, 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 but no. But, but I still don't <laughs> consider myself an announcer. I'm just kind of there watching, and they put a, a microphone in front of me. Like, I, I mean, I have called races start to finish in the announcer's tower, maybe four or five times. But, you know, I'm just kind of there Called, for... Uh, Team France winning Motocross of Nations. I did. Unbelievable. In the tower for Red Bud Motocross of Nations. Rocket Rob what? loses his voice, hands me the mic, and walks off. <laughs> and I'm like, these guys hate me. They didn't even give me a credential like four years ago at the, you know, yeah, yeah. and now I'm calling the signature moment for their race all summer. Yeah, it's great. Oh, um, uh, it's great. Um... But, uh, yeah, so I wasn't at this race. You were there, though. You were here. Yeah, I think I attended – I might have announced every round. If I didn't go to all the rounds in 06, I probably went to 10 of the 12. Mm -hmm. um, if maybe there was a conflict with a GMCC or something. So, yeah, it was often uh, the way the Nationals worked back then. 
Tim Cotter and Rocket Rob were the announcers at the beginning of the year, and then when Loretta's would come, Tim Cotter would have to basically live at Loretta's for two months, so then I would take his spot. So Rob and I basically were the announcers and the podium guys uh, at these rounds. So really the exciting thing about 06 was, okay, 05, Stewart moves up. We realized 250, not as competitive as we had hoped. So 06, hey, now he and Carmichael are both on 450s. It is going to be on. They did have some great races at the beginning of the year, and then Stu had some huge crashes. But he started getting it back together later in the year, and they had some epic battles. I believe this is the year they had the epic one at um, at uh, Washougal right around this time, which um, you were just talking to them about that. Yeah, this was the one where Ricky was slow and let James by. James wouldn't go by, and they were in the back going like yeah. super slow. Yeah. Yeah, so the first moto of the 450 class, they do battle. Carmichael wins, but I remember Stuart was right with him. Um, so it's like, okay, Moto2, we'll see who takes the overall. But then the rain came, and Stuart and a bunch of guys couldn't get up this one hill. They just all got stuck, yeah. except Carmichael, and then that's why Carmichael lapped so, everyone. Okay. So here's a bit of a hot take. Oh. Are, are you ready? Here's a bit of a hot oh, take. Oh, boy. All right, blow and, the wig back. And Ricky and I are friends. We're friends. Yes. So this isn't, you know, this isn't coming okay. from any... Maybe so, not for long. <laughs> it could end right now. Listen, here's my take. I don't think it's that big of a deal that RC lapped second. Like, I can – I have, you know, 20 highlights of Ricky Carmichael's career that are better or more impressive or whatever you want to put on it. I feel like him lapping second, like on social or just – I feel it gets blown out of proportion. Like it is talked about, like the one of the, his greatest feats. And I mean, it's impressive. I'm not. I'm not shitting on it. It's impressive. He lapped Villeman in second place. But dude, I mean, it was a full, full mutter. Um, yeah. Like I don't know, man. Like, is that a, is that too hot takey? It's gonna sound that way. Yeah. It, this is definitely a quantity over quality thing. Bottom line is, he lapped everyone in the race. That does sound unbelievable. But yes, if you watch it, yes. it's because it's a mud race. That's why. Like, he wasn't... Carmichael is the greatest rider of all time. I'm not even trying to, like, poke holes in that or anything. But if it was a dry moto, he probably would have won the moto by 20 or 30 seconds, which is really impressive. But the lapping was because everyone got stuck on this one hill. <laughs> It's kind of where I'm going. And again, yes. like people just, they talk about he lapped second place. Well, yeah, but it was a massive mutter and dudes were stuck everywhere. So, yes, he didn't get stuck. Good job. You know, obviously uh, a tremendous rider. But again, like in my list of impressive Ricky Carmichael accomplishments, it's it's pretty far down there. That's all. Yeah. I, I mean, it, like I said, it's quantity over quality. If you look at how it's actually done, it's obviously impressive but it seems more impressive when you just look at the number when you just I look guess. that he I, I don't lapped know. everyone I... it sounds amazing but mud races are nuts and uh and this there's was just a... one yeah. section uh it's not even that gnarly of a hill it's not the mount martin no. everybody got up that it's uh where they I, I believe it's when they come down mount martin and then they just kind of go up they and do go this, like, yeah they go up and then they make a left around a tree yeah, yeah. and for whatever reason that section Right. Uh, I mean, first of all, Reed and Stu get stuck there, so his yep. main competitors are done. Yep. Uh, Chad was actually racing outdoors. It's almost surprising sometimes to see the Chad Yamaha outdoors. I feel like it was so sporadic. Don't yeah. you? you? Yeah, get I that do. Vibe? Yeah, I do get that vibe. You're right. Yeah. Yep. And uh, and then like as each lap goes by, when you watch this, you're just more dudes stuck, including first hand witness 
our buddy Jason Thomas just mm-hmm. in the pile with yeah. Reed Stu and about 15 other guys. Yeah, this this is. Oh yeah, here it is a lap later. It's just wh- getting worse and worse. Wh- where's JT is not going to be a good one today for him on the Lee at It's not not going to be a highlight. Uh, Villaman, Villaman fist pumping. Uh, when he makes it up there, that's one of my favorites. Uh, yeah, yeah, he did. Yeah, he fist pumped when so, he actually made the hill. So Villeman gets fired from Buku this year, uh, which we all told him was a bad idea. Uh, don't do it. Uh, he gets fired, though, halfway through Soupy or whatever. And then uh, McCarty, McKeith McCarty at Yamaha gives him some bikes. Paul Lindsay helps him out uh, a little bit, and he's on. Uh, no fear. Uh, Sirwall gives him some money, and he hits these races as a privateer. So he's 7-2 seven, seven on the day as a privateer, our buddy DV. So. Yeah, and back on his old familiar Yamahas. Yeah, back on yep. Yamahas, exactly right. So yeah, um, yep. and he still talks about how nice it was that Keith, who he you know he had left the year before, right after a long relationship, uh, didn't stick it in his face. You know, didn't say ah, too bad, beat it. You know what I mean? How yeah. Villeman was very appreciative of Keith McCarty and Yamaha for giving him support. You know, eight months after he basically spurned them. You know, so uh, Villeman yeah, always says cool. Villeman always says that how how cool that was. Um, but talking about the 250 side of things, uh, yeah, this this Brock. So Hep, Hepler, we what you remember and we still bring up is, uh, and we talked to Brock about this, but the the goggle prep. <laughs> well, that's what made this tricky. So uh, the first motos were normal, and then it turned into an epic mud race, literally halfway through the first 250 moto. Like it started as a dry moto, and then it started raining during it, which is. Okay, you're a mechanic, so you know better than me. That's worst-case scenario, right? I'm sure you've had yeah. plenty of these races, Steve, where you're kind of guessing. Yeah, you're looking at the weather. You're seeing it come in. It's, every truck has a weather thing on it, you know what I mean? And you're like, okay, where are we going with this? Tire guys, goggle guys, everybody's watching. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, as it turns out, um, Hepler was obviously very good riding in the mud. Little-known fact that the Pittsburgh area where he's from has more cloudy days than the Pacific Northwest. It's worse than Seattle on, on Sunshine, okay? So – it's good in the mud, but uh, apparently he decided to run the mud tire and the roll-offs just in case it rained, and no one else did. So that was made all the difference. Like, once it rained, he was mm-hmm. gone. And, and while well, he took the lead early from Josh Grant, and then, yep. yeah, it was – When he, it was dry. Yeah, when it was yep. dry, it was all – he was like third or fourth off the start and yep. uh, grabbed the lead early from JG and took off. And then when the rains came, he just even, you know, pulled away even more. So Pingree yep. gives him credit for the roll-offs in, in, the, in the moto, you know. Uh, so that, that was good, good observation by Ping. Which leads to the all-time shining moment for our man Johnny Knowles <laughs> of Scott Goggles. Still still the goggle man there this day. Just texted him right now that told me we were doing this show. Uh, and I'll mention this to Hepler, too. But uh, Rock, Rocket Rob Bidus on the podium says to Hepler, Hey, man, I don't think anybody saw this rain coming. And Hepler said, Well, the guys at Scott Goggles did, and that's why I'd roll offs. And it had to be for Johnny Knowles, who lives and dies <laughs> by this. And, and it's 2022. And whenever it rains, someone in the group text is like, "This is when you shine, Knowles. This oh, is yeah. when you shine." It's it's yep. it's uh, six. Yep. It's uh, wait, 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 let me do the math. It's fifteen years later, and we're still reminding Johnny Knowles of his time to shine because of Hepler's podium speech at this race. Yes, yeah, where he completely said it was all because of the guys that got goggles, right, single-handedly right. winning right. this moto. And nothing, uh, nothing gets a yeah. goggle guy more excited than that kind of shutout. Oh nothing, yeah, nothing, nothing. Now I just want to be fair here. Hepler goes on to win the next two nationals also. So it wasn't just a mud no, goggles thing. No, yep. uh, he was on a roll. And uh, Villapoto was at those two nationals. He beat him. Yep. Um, I believe it's still City, which we'll talk to Hepler about that. That was his track. Uh, it was a straight-up fight, and he just beat Villapoto. So I just cannot emphasize enough how good Hepler was when he was on. 
He was just hurt too darn much. No, he really was. It's a it's a real what if about Brock Pepper's career, hundred um, percent. And of course, yeah. uh, two thousand and eight, he gets hit by Millsaps in Vegas Supercross oh. when Millsaps' oh. throttle sticks apparently. Cleaned out into the stands, innocent bystander just making a left turn. I watched it all right in front of me, and yep. he never races again. He has back concussion uh, symptoms and kind of just goes away. He was never a big media talker, popular guy, but always super nice. And then after that crash, he never rides for Yamaha again, never races again. And, yeah, you don't hear a lot about Brock Hepper, but truly a case of a fork in the road and had it gone this way instead of that way for Brock Hepler, he's he's winning races and championships. Absolutely. Well, I believe where it all started, uh, we'll talk to Hepler about this. He's on Suzuki in this 06 season, then he switches to Yamaha, and then uh, he has a massive concussion at the Supercross test track with the Yamaha going into 06. And uh, I remember hearing, like, I mean, he was unconscious for like five minutes or something. And then also what you hear about guys with concussions, uh, there's all sorts of ways it can go. And I remember people saying, like, when he finally woke up, he was just screaming profanities. And I don't think Hepler ever said profanities. <laughs> so they were like, dude, he was out for minutes. And then I when he woke up, he was like a yeah. different human being. Right. So he did come back and race 06. I think he even won Steel City again. Um, but as he n- explains, you know, he was never the same. He never fully <clears throat> recovered from that concussion. So then, yeah, that Millsaps yeah. incident two years later, that was like the final as you said that day, I think Hepler just turned to dust. Yeah, just gone. He just crumbled. Just, like, just, that's it. Uh, and also, by the way, I did not enjoy Brock Hepler putting heat on Tim Ferry out of nowhere on, oh, yeah. on a YZ450. Like, again, just to give you an idea, he hadn't really done much. It hadn't gone great. And then at Steel City on a track he knows full well, he'll talk about. Uh, he's all over Red Dog in both motos when Red Dog was maybe peak, <laughs> peak Red Dog even. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, on a 450, yeah. Um, um, but it became sporadic, I think, because of the concussion situation. He had a few good races here and there. Uh, but it all goes back to this huge uh, concussion at the Yamaha track. And what I always wonder is, I believe Yamaha had him racing uh, east in 06. So it had been, I think Bevo was the one who told me this. It was like he had ridden that Yamaha track for five straight months. And they're just like, man, if he had raced west or just gone to road, ride somewhere else, like you never know. I mean, there's a million what-ifs when a dude crashes. Yeah, yeah. But uh, that was the thing. Like, I'd probably done a thousand laps of that track. Maybe it was uh, one too many. Uh, let's talk to him. Let's talk to Brock Hepler, yep. the overall winner, Spring Creek Motocross 2006. Uh, let's talk to Brock right now and catch up with him. And now, as promised, the guest of honor of, uh, of this Lee at Re-Raceables episode, because uh, this man absolutely uh, crushed it, and it started a run of three wins in a row for him. At the time, he's riding for Makita Factory Suzuki. It is Brock Hepler. Brock, what's up, man? How are you? Oh, doing well. How are you two? Uh, we're good. Thanks for doing this. Yeah, no problem. It's uh, cool that you guys still remember. I, I did some pretty <laughs> neat stuff back then. <laughs> we we'd actually mentioned uh, we do this show all the time, this re-raceable show. And, yeah, we mentioned a couple of weeks ago there was another race where we brought your name up, and we're like, not enough people probably bring up Brock Hepler's name. We're probably the only two people talking about him. We're like, wait, we should have him on the show. No, so no, yeah, you did well, win a lot of races against big names. We no, no, a- us two and Johnny Knowles brings up Brock oh, Hepler. Knowles for sure. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I never did the stats back when I was, you know, in the prime on the Suzuki, and then with the Yamaha, that was after the concussion, so my results weren't quite as good. But I never did the stats when I was on Suzuki, like how good my my podium percentage was, but even counting the Yamaha days, 
I've already actually done, I think, 74 pro races, and I podium 25 times. So I had over a 33% podium average, even yeah. counting the Yamaha days. Well, yeah, yeah. Which you've now said the Yamaha days, you were there. As far as we knew on the outside, you were giving it 100%. But after that concussion, when you first kind of started with the Yamaha, you were not the same guy. We now know that after the fact, right? Yeah, even myself at the time, yeah, I I guess thought I was the same. But, you know, looking back now, I see, like, you know, I got hurt a lot, especially the last year or two with Yamaha. I think I had three surgeries in, like, a year there just trying to fight the sim concussion symptoms. And, you know, it's – I guess yeah. I was at 23 at the time, 21 to 23 with Yamaha. So it's, like, it's hard to swallow. It's, like, this could be the end of the – end of my racing that's all i ever knew so mm -hmm. you know you tried to push through it and and uh tried to fight it but yeah it just just was downhill from there yeah i remember you even explaining it you know again after the fact because i'm sure yeah you're even trying to convince yourself you're okay right but after the fact I remember you saying for fans that haven't heard that you were uh what did you call it the fog at times is that the word you used yeah that's the the biggest symptom i had was the fogginess and like nowadays, like I could still have it at times, but I think with the less pressure and, um, you know, obviously more years from that major injury, you know, it's better. But yeah, at the time, yeah, with just the pressure and new tracks and, you know, all the racers, you know, when you're racing head to head with Supercross and your timing has to be perfect, you know, I, I could tell like just going down the start line, it's like, yeah, things just aren't quite crisp enough. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Yeah. And yeah. I, I never really voiced my opinion, but, like, I'm not going to name any riders, but I think, you know, there's ones even nowadays where it's like some days it's like, what are they doing? You know, it's like, and I think maybe they even suffer from some of that where it's like, you know, that's why they have such on or off days. Um, you know, they, they may be experiencing something similar. Yeah, that's a good point. We, we of course, are going to make fun of dudes and be like, oh, this guy always crashes, or if this guy could just get it together every week, and you're right, there might be much more serious reasons for that. But they're not going to say it, and they might not even admit it themselves. So good point. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, that's why I say it's a hard pill to swallow. It's like, you know, when you're getting paid good money and you don't want to let people down or yourself, yep. and if they're going to keep paying you, it's like, how do you – turn it down and say i'm done you know but yeah at some point you know like like myself it's like the times were going downhill too with riders getting paid well and so it made it a uh, easier decision to uh to call it a career then yeah one time suzuki had yourself and davy in the 250 class the future was really bright for the prospects of both you guys you know moving up to suzuki's and and the 450 class and, and crushing it and and both guys both of you guys left and um you know you just talked about your issues and, and davy got hurt a bunch too as well but at one time it was the suzuki amateur thing was stacked and and you guys were the leaders of it you know so uh yeah times were, were at one time suzuki was going to be the guys you know yeah yeah well that's what yeah that's what even people forget like uh, with Suzuki, I think the first year we there was yeah four lights guys and three two fifty guys. They had what Nick Way, Hamblin, Tortelli. Yep. So, yes, yeah, so it was it was a big uh, um, um as, as far a big as group of guys. 
Yeah, as far as this race is concerned, so yeah, this is Millville 2006. Very famous for Ricky Carmichael lapping the field in the second moto. The rains came. Uh, Brock, you go 3-1 for the overall. And I'm guessing, like, the rain starts, I don't know, we each maybe uh, halfway through the moto, uh, looks like. It starts around then. Um, and it gets yep. bad. Uh, it gets really bad. But, Brock, for you, East Coast guy, PA, uh, you even make a mention on the podium with Aaron Bates. You're fine. You, you were not worried at all. Yeah, actually, I don't remember exactly, and I, I think this is definitely before I had, like, a cell phone with uh, weather apps and all that stuff in 2006, but I remember in the, the semi, I'm like, man, there's a storm coming. We were watching the weather channel mm-hmm. in the semi, and if I'm not mistaken, I think I went to the start line without my bike because I'm like, hey, Lee, McCollum, I'm like, I think we need to put like a front mud tire on or front or rear mud tire. And I know John Knowles, I'm like, let's, let's start out with some roll offs. Cause I, I know that storm's hitting at some point. So yeah, I think that the, the tire and the goggles were definitely the right choice, even though the rain didn't come till yeah. it might've been like a third of the way through the race. It finally let go. Yeah. And ping was, ping was doing the commentating and ping makes mention. Oh, he's up there. He's pulling roll offs. So Brock was ready for this for this rain so that's even uh in the podcast or in the in the tv broadcast about it so yeah you guys were set you were set yeah and that's what yeah like you said the third in the first moto didn't set you up for a, a permanent you know win the second moto you win the overall you still have to have a little help but mm-hmm. yeah i remember uh yeah i just well oh take back to yeah to the the rain coming I don't. I might only start out like fourth or fifth that second moto, but I knew. Um, I think I passed for the lead. I passed four or five guys that first lap because I'm like, dude, I want to get out front before this rain comes. So yeah, I believe I from the end of the first lap of one. But also, yeah, the mud experience. I mean, I saw you in the uh, even the amateur days growing up there in Pennsylvania. I mean, dude, you had ridden in the mud. I'm sure a lot. Oh yeah, growing up, yeah, Steel City, High Point. Yeah, even even uh, Pleasure Valley, Jeff Cernick's track. Um, yeah, they usually started races in March, so yeah, there could be snow, mud, anything goes. They didn't cancel much, so yeah, if, if contingency was there, we were racing. You know, I'm glad you brought that up. I reference this all the time that I remember. It was my job to go cover these local races for like the Cycle News regional events and et cetera, et cetera. And you and uh, Gene Stull was also a factory Suzuki guy at the time. And you guys just raced all the local races. And now that idea that you would just, as a factory Suzuki amateur rider, were racing your local track in the B class, DA class every weekend, that is like Mars now. Like nobody does that. You were the very end, I feel, of the group of riders that did that. Do you think about that? Like, Nobody at the level you were, one of the fastest amateurs in the world, is racing their local track anymore. But that was normal back then. Yeah, I, well, I mean, I think it was luckily for us, we had such big tracks just in our, it was District 5 back then, just locally, you know, it's still City High Point. But yeah, they have full Spring Series, full State Championship Series. I know the State Series, yeah, it was like a eight or nine round series, and it was a different track every weekend. But yeah, I was just talking to somebody. It's like, you know, back in the day, they had that Ponca in Oklahoma. Yep. That week before Loretta's. I never did that. So I've never even raced that. Um, I know the World Minis in Vegas. I only, I only raced there once. Might have did Mammoth twice. So, yeah, we didn't even travel all over the place since I was in 
public school and my parents worked. So, yeah, it was nice, just convenient, local, worked out. Yeah, nowadays you would you'd be moving to Cairo, Georgia. That's what you'd have to do and be homeschooled. That's that's what the riders at your level are doing these days. It's such a huge difference. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, you know, that, I just think about that even with the, you know, football and baseball. You know, not that parents should um, not let their kids have big dreams, but it's like I always tell people, you know, there's, what, five or six factory teams with – Nowadays, what one or two riders on it? So you're looking at what ten or ten or fifteen good rides. It's like the percentage of making in NFL or Major League Baseball. You know, you have a lot more positions that you know a kid could uh, be successful in. Two thousand and six, yep. you rode nine nationals. You made the podium in five of them. Uh, and and Brock, that bike wasn't the greatest, was it? That 06 RMZ two fifty. Uh, not the fastest bike on the track. Yeah, that was kind of a, uh, I guess a little bit of a letdown because yeah, that was the Cowie Suzuki combined right, for right. 04. and then yeah, oh four, oh five, oh six was the same bike, and Kawasaki actually had a different bike in oh six, but Suzuki still had their the same one for three years. So yeah, I mean we had it good. I was comfortable on it, but mm-hmm. so if it was the best bike at the time <laughs> i think you're, you're being nice for sure uh but uh so millville the, the, yeah you, you go three one for the overall that you go to broom the next week and go one three for the overall and of course steel city i mean of course you crush it at steel city uh three wins in a row for you do you remember roger uh being pretty stoked around this time and and were you negotiating with yamaha or was it done at this point or did he know did roger know you were leaving how did that sort of go down because you know you're you're on a roll you're one three nationals in a row and, and you're leaving the team yeah well that's what I missed all of Supercross in those first outdoors with a broken foot mm-hmm. in a preseason. And, um, yeah, I actually – yeah, I know I did my Yamaha contract before I even started the outdoors oh. that year. Oh, wow. Okay, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, a lot of people don't know. I mean, yeah, you're supposed to keep it quiet, you know. But, um, yeah, obviously I was hurt. And um, uh, Suzuki – they would have kept me but they were only offering me a one-year deal for 2007 and it's like you know i'm not gonna mm-hmm. get the one-year deal if someone wants to give me more money in a two-year deal you know yeah so that kind of where it was so yeah actually when i came back um for the nationals yeah it was already done they knew i was leaving so well so roger um, wasn't even talking to you then probably much <laughs> well <laughs> For 05 and 06, Carmichael was on the team, so you could probably yeah where he was most of the time. <laughs> but, yeah, no, no hard feelings. No, yeah. Michael. no I know. get it, but Roger has a history of, like, once you're not performing for Raj or, say, you're going, you're leaving the team, that's it. You're dead to Raj. That's his reputation, <laughs> you know? So Yeah. Yeah, no, he was good. But, yeah, definitely he was over there for those wins. But, yeah, when you weren't doing so well. And he knew you were leaving. <laughs> he he wasn't visiting quite as much. Wow, I didn't know that the Yamaha deal was done before Weege. Did you remember this at the time? Do you remember hearing this Weege that Hep was leaving? For uh... yeah, yeah, I think I actually knew it was known. Which okay, just shows like people probably think you won this three in a row because you were like trying to raise your value for a contract, but it was already done at that point, right? Yeah, 
Yeah, yeah I, I'm. Yeah, like I, I was mentioning other riders. Yeah, I could have been like some riders and just rode it in, I guess. But mm-hmm. you know, I, I like to do well. But yeah, it was already done. Um, I think, I think some of the uh, media guys got wind wind of it. I think because my first race that year was Bud's Creek, and they, I think they asked me about it, and I'm just like. Hey, I'm here to win on my Suzuki, you know, (laughs) (laughs) your your tongue's tied, but yeah, people knew about it. Well, here's what I remember. So Yamaha didn't even have a factory 250 team at that time. And then they were bringing it back because I think if I have this right, I think like Yamaha of Troy was starting to go sideways. So they needed to have their own thing. And it was you and Josh Hill were going to be the guys. And I believe it was Broom Tioga, which was the next race. I remember like you and your parents and like Hill and his parents, like broing down after the race, like, Oh yeah, we all know why. They're gonna be teammates. They're, next year they will be teammates. Uh, it was kind of known, kind of not known, but it was like Yamaha was really. I feel like they were going for it. They were like, we're getting two young guys, Hill and Hepler, and we are going for it. That that was the way it looked on the outside uh, to me. Yeah, I don't even remember how it all came about or who, but yeah, actually, um, after Millville, yeah, Hill and his mom and Justin, little he was just a little kid then in two thousand six. Yep. Uh, he might have been riding to 60 at the time or an 80, but yeah, they parked at, I was still living at my parents. So yeah, they parked right in the yard and he rode huh. with those couple weeks there around Binghamton and still city. So yeah, it was cool. It was like, Hey, we're going to be teammates this year, next year. And yeah, now we're podium together at Binghamton there. So yeah, that was cool. Uh, oh yeah, that's right. Hill actually got second or something in his second national. Like it was crazy. Yeah. He, <laughs> he might've yeah, might been third overall that that's that pretty good. Um, but let me ask you about this dynamic. The also interesting thing about this Millville race is you have a new teammate for the first time on Suzuki. Millsaps is gone. You're leaving, and they have this Ryan Dungey kid moving in, which shocked me at the time. I think shocked everybody actually at the time that he got this factory ride. Uh, what was that like? You were moving on, and they were bringing in the new kid, and you were under the same truck for a couple races. Yeah, I really didn't know too much about it. Like, I hear stories now. People are like, you know, because Dungy has done interviews. And I'm like, I never even heard of him, you know, from the B class. I didn't follow the amateur stuff then. But, yeah, now I hear stories like, yeah, they let they let him ride your bike to try it out and stuff. I'm like, oh, I didn't even know about it. <laughs> I just yeah. know yeah, when we were negotiating, which, I yeah, I had a hurt foot. So I was hardly off crutches. And I'm um, – Roger, we went, we actually flew to California to negotiate and stuff. And Roger's like, you know, if you leave here without signing it, you know, it might not be here when you come back. And my dad and I walked out because we're like, we actually, you know, other teams had uh, said they were going to make an offer, but mm-hmm. there was nothing in writing. So it was like, man, do you leave this? It, it was tough. Yeah, I a bit guess. of a risk. But yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. I had good good uh, it was you know a decent offer but only one year and you know they some other teams said they're going to make offers but do you leave this and you might not have anything but yeah it was, it was hard but yeah my dad and i left and uh you know that was it they they hired dungy then which obviously for them it, it felt good and you know a lot of people you know ask about like regrets or whatnot or things could be different it's like yeah maybe they could be maybe i wouldn't erect you know so but yeah you can't change anything now do you uh brock do you remember on this day ricky lapping second do you remember watching it or hearing about it were you gone at the were you still at the track uh do you remember anything about that 
Um, I don't think I watched it. Like, I might have been back at the truck, and I didn't know at the time that he lapped everyone. I just remember, well, another good story about the races. You know, I didn't win since 2005 at Steel City. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm only back on top. You know, I got to win at Millville, even though it's a monsoon. Well, you know, back in the day, it wasn't live TV, so we did victory laps, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I went for a victory lap. I'm like, oh, I'm back on top. I'm winning. I'm, I'm. Well, anyways, it was like the last uphill before the finish. Yep. And my bike quit. Oh, <laughs> I don't remember and, that. Uh, yeah, yeah. It, it, well, yeah, it was before that Holy Schmidt jump. Mm-hmm. And I, I just leave it there because I'm like, well, I got to get to the podium, you know. Here's me and all of them are coming like, where's the bike? I'm like, I left it back or it broke down. Well, here, yeah, they, they hold it back. But yeah, once he was washing it up, a rock actually got caught in like the clutch arm at the motor. Okay. So just the clutch, it was like you're holding the clutch in. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know to check that. But yeah, I remember they were like, Lee was super happy. Obviously, we won. But then he's like. You had to go on a victory lap in a mud race, and now you <laughs> broke it down out there. And now I got to push this <laughs> damn thing back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, they didn't figure it out till he was washing it. What happened? But oh. yeah, I remember he wasn't too too proud of that moment. No, yeah, you win the race, but you're still pushing your bike back. As a former mechanic, I can vouch for that. You're like, no, wait, wait, no, no, the bike's yeah. good. <laughs> Another thing, yeah, with the mud and the sand that bad, I remember him washing it up. While I was still at the track, like. The brake pads were gone. I think I still had brakes, but they must have been metal on metal. I remember him showing me. Yeah. You know, that's just how much water, how much mud right. in the sand there. Yeah, the bikes were just toast. Uh, you win. Did it feel no. good then to win the next two? Because obviously you could look at this and be like, well, Hepler rides good in the mud. He put on a mud tire. He put on roll-offs. Nobody else did that. So did the next wins, which were dry conditions, and Steel City is obviously a good track for you because you grew up there, but you won Binghamton. That's neutral turf. Did that help to, to like, really cement it? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, I wasn't, I mean, I, I, I don't know how many times I podiumed that year. Was it, oh, did you say five out of Five overalls, yeah, five out of nine. Oh, five out of nine. So, yeah, I mean, obviously it's good to win, get your confidence out. But I think no matter, I always came back when I was healthy, so I always felt like I could win it all at any time but obviously yeah and the more confidence you have uh at steel city you know we know how fast you were how good you did uh what was it about the place you just grew up on it and you just were sitting on the line and just rubbing your hands together like was this just a, a thing all the time for you at steel city like unbelievable confidence yeah i don't even know i mean i know oh six i think it they might even cancel saturday practice there so it could have been a little bit muddy uh-huh i think it was just you know, you just go to the line, and yeah, I, I don't. I think it's just the feeling of the dirt. You know, like, hey, if it's a little muddy, you know, I've been in that situation before on this track. But yeah, to answer your question, I don't think I felt any more confident. But obviously, you're more calm. Then your starts are better. Um, you know, it's just yeah, yeah. you know. You won a moto there. You won a moto there on a 250F on a Yamaha 250F. You went uh, won a moto there. The next year on 450s, you go three three and you hound my guy Tim Ferry both motos. I didn't like that at all. Um, yeah, it's just no matter what bike you rode, what brand you rode, what size of bike, Steel City was just your place. Yeah, that was great. 
Yeah, that's what um, and then like that's what people are always like. You you must ride there all the time, and yeah, since we had local races all the time, there wasn't really any practice tracks like yeah, Steel City High Point. Yeah, you can't practice there like during the year. So the only practice you get there was the local race, and they really, they didn't even have like Saturday practices or anything. So that's what people are always like. Oh, he you know it's not like Glen Helen where you could ride it twice a week, you know, but just. From when I, I think it was my first ever race at Steel City when I was four. So, oh, yeah. Just, just a lot of laps there, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Comfort. If I remember that uh, 08 ride of the 450, the week, if I have this right, I think the week before was Southwick and you did terribly. And then it's like, there's no way he's going to turn it around for Steel City to this degree. But you really did. I think you almost got lapped or something at Southwick. And then the next week you're on the podium, if I have this right. And Hounding Ferry, which Mathis was not happy about. Yeah, I don't know the exact result at Southwick, um, but I know talking about the practice, 08, they definitely went to the um, fast lap in practice. And, you know, Southwick, you got to set that hot mm-hmm. lap for practice and sand. I was just uncomfortable. And I, I don't know if I qualified like 16th or 19th in practice. So that's what I went to the gate for in the first moto. But yeah, yeah. I think I did get lapped. You, it might have been second moto. You went twelve nineteen at Southwick, right behind our buddy Jason Thomas. So we know you. Oh, were yeah. off, you we knew you were off your game if you're right behind JT <laughs> at Southwick. So, um, yeah, that that wasn't a strong point, but yeah, I guess like you said, you know, I lined it up at Still City. It's like everything's erased. I forgot how bad I was the week before. Uh, Liet re-raceables with Brock Hepler, thanks to Scott and Maxis and Pro Taper, all on board with us. Uh, Brock, what a, what a yeah, what a day for you! It, you made your pro debut at Millville, and your last win, uh, overall win, was at Millville as well. So that's kind of uh, symmetry for your career a little bit there. Or sorry, not your last win, but I mean your win this year. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. I think my my first race there, I did thirteen eleven on an amateur Suzuki bike. So yeah, even even that was a good good day. Yeah. And like I was talking about, I'm, I don't really care for the sand that much, and obviously Millville. Is a little bit sandy, and I I even remember that first year, um, my first ever pro race. That's the year they added the whoop section like twice as long, mm-hmm. and I'm like, oh my goodness, like I'm not in shape yet to do this kind of stuff. My first ever pro race, but yeah, going back to the '06 race, I re- I think it was like the last lap. If anyone watches the the old video, you had to almost like haul up the whoops because it was like jumps middle of the whoops yeah do you remember giving our guy john knowles from scott the shout out on the podium this is what i remember about this interview rob bidas who's still the announcer at the podium he's like hey brock nobody knew it was going to rain during this moto that had to be a surprise and then you said well the guys at scott goggles knew because i had roll-offs it was the greatest shiny moment in Goggle Man Scott, uh, uh, John Knowles' life. Which, which we still talk about, by the way, Brock. We, we still do. we still we tell him, hey. Yeah, I don't know if I told him, hey, give me the roll-offs or, or, he or did, if I too. said, hey, it's raining. But anyways, we got to give him credit because they obviously had the roll-offs ready when I requested them. Yeah, no, yeah. That, that's Johnny Knowles, everybody. He's on board with this podcast also, so uh, he'll love it. He'll love the story. This is where he shines. That's what he likes to say. When it rains, this is where he shines. Uh so, Brock, before we let you go, uh, you've got some plans. It's 2022, and you've got some big plans coming up. Tell us what's up. Yeah, well, I've been doing just a local hair scramble series the last, oh, what, four years. And um, 
I've always done a few national Enduros, you know, once or twice a year. And this year, uh, the first one I did pretty good. And then, um, uh, the, Na or the Endora engineering XC gear team, they're like, Hey, you want to do this full time next year? And actually, um, it was kind of funny. I, I kept putting it off. I'm like, I couldn't decide if, you know, I wanted to commit to a full series next year. And, and that's what my wife's like. I tried to get my parents to decide for me. My wife to decide for me. I'm like, she's like, I'm like, well, we'll have to flip a coin. So, um, yeah, I, I, I had a coin and I said of heads, the best of three though, I wasn't doing one. Okay. So, <laughs> so yeah, I, I flipped a quarter. It was heads. So that's race flipped again, heads. I even did a third time just to see it heads all three times. So that's what I told the guys. I'm like, Hey, I oh. guess I'm going to get race that heads heads said do it. But yeah, that's what she, my wife says. It's like, you know, obviously I still ride. So it's like, if you're going to ride anyways, you might as well do it right. And you know, go. And at least if I'm racing, then I'm, you know, a little more fit, yeah. hopefully less chance of injury. Cause I'm in shape and, and riding more. Uh, wow. So Johnny Knowles is now doing the National Enduro Series full time, everybody. That's the, that's John Knowles' new series, I guess. That'll be it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what yeah. is, okay, you keep using the term full time. I don't even know. So I know you've been racing local races. Do you have a, what else do you do? Do you have a regular job? What else do you do these days? <laughs> well, I guess it, I, I consider, I guess, my full time job, but I, I do. I, my wife has horses, so I take care of them in the morning. And then she talked me into a dog three or four years ago. So I'm like, I'm the, the nanny babysitter. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I well, I have a degree in health phys at driver's ed, which I subbed quite a while. But then, you know, with all the school stuff anymore and not laying in a full-time job, I'm like, you know, sub pay is not very great with no benefits. So I'm like – this is pointless, you know, until I get a full-time spot. So, yeah, racing, training, riding with my buds, making my dad ride when everybody else is working or or not around. So, <laughs> yeah, when I, I called my dad, I said, hey, we're going riding tomorrow. No, everyone else is working or going to school, so I make him go ride with me. So, uh, there you go. So you were able to save some money after your career and uh, and do pretty well with investments or whatever to to enable you that you don't have to go back to like a full time grind, Brock. That's awesome. That's good to know. Yeah, yeah. To, you know, whenever I first turned pro, I'm like, you know, money was good, and then I'm like, back then it was even amateurs. It's like, dang, I went pro too quick. All these amateurs. <laughs> But then it was like, yeah, when I when I was towards the end, arrow eight oh nine, it's like then it started going downhill. So then it's like, man, I guess I did hit it at the right time. But mm -hmm. you know, thankful that my parents yeah. Yeah. disciplined me well, and I didn't waste my money. But so yeah, I mean, I think I, I live pretty comfortable. I'm I can't go buy sports cars every day and stuff yeah. like that. Wow. So, but yeah. You yeah, should I, you I, should reopen Steel City. You should reopen Steel City, Brock. Help us. <laughs> Just go go line up and go five five like right now off the couch at Steel City. You know that's right. I I've made comments before. People are like, "Hey, you should do a motocross race." I'm like, "Yeah, I, I definitely will when Steel City's back." <laughs> okay. <laughs> How is the riding like? So you were telling us right before we got on the phone here, you were actually riding with studs on the tires in Pennsylvania here in in January. Um, how is the ride? Do you ever go back on a motocross track? Like, are you, I think people would be curious to be 
Is he still really fast? Or do you feel like you're not even anywhere where you were in, in your prime days? Where are you as a rider? It's hard to put a number on it, but what do you think? Um, for a number, if I'd go to a motocross race right now, uh, I could probably, I think I could top 20. Top yeah, 20. so you still have speed. You're, you're not oh, rolling around out there. You Once you know how to ride, you know how to ride. Yeah, that's actually, I think going back to that, this whole Millville thing, when I missed most of the season and came back in 06, mm-hmm. you know, talking about John Knowles and Bevo, he was the one that always told me, you know, because I was hurt a lot. He's like, you know, I don't ride a bicycle very much, but if I need to go ride a bicycle, I can go ride a bicycle. You don't forget, right? So that's what he always told me. He's like, who cares if you've been off for four months? You don't forget how to ride a dirt bike. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Do you get on a moto track very often, or is it mostly enduro stuff? Yeah, mostly woods now. Um, we have that switchback that has the indoor, outdoor. So, I mean, I'll moto a little bit, but... Yeah, the last few years, it's mainly just been trails and private tracks. And do you have any worry about, because you had the big concussion, or do you think about that like from a safety standpoint, or are you supposedly, you know, as far as you know, good to go, and you don't have to worry about that? Or is it something that's in the back of your mind, like, ah, I don't know if I should be doing moto gnarly jumps and stuff? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I see people, even friends, it's like, you know, don't be careful. I, I, I hate people that say that. Oh, be careful. Don't, don't hurt yourself. It's like, well, you can't go out there and perform whenever you're thinking about hurting yourself, you know, mm-hmm. and being safe. But I mean, I guess, you know, now that I'm older, it is in the back of my mind, but you know, at some point you have to still live your life. And, but to answer your question on the brain injury, I mean, I guess concussions and brain injury, you know, my brain will never be, you know, as bulletproof as it used to be. So there's always a scare there, I guess, but you know, at some point you just have to decide, you know, how, how you want to live life. You know, you can't, you can't avoid everything and, uh, take all the enjoyment out of your life. So that's why I keep riding. But yeah, I try to do with the Enduros, you know, you're racing the clock. So I like to say, Hey, if I'm going to hurt myself, hopefully it's my own fault. You know, not like a star or something where you're head to head, where it could be somebody else's fault or super cross where a bike's flying from another lane, you know, yeah. I like to, that's what I, I tell myself. I'm like, I, I feel it's safer. <laughs> I think it is. I, I, you, there's definitely something to that. I was wondering if that's maybe why you're even doing enduro and not just, you know, getting back into moto full on. Um, you can scratch uh, that itch at least. And then like I rode the indoor track here last week and it's like for motocross and indoors and stuff, there's, you have to push it so hard to make up time or make a difference, you know, cause everyone's doing the same thing where, the Enduros, you have six sections, you know, anywhere from four to 10 miles. So you have a lot of time to make up or lose where you might not have to hang it out, you know, for that 10th of a second to, you know, be the fastest. So I think you can be a little safer that way also. Uh, awesome. Uh, anything else for BHEP, Weege? I always wonder this. I'm sure it's run through your mind a million times. Look, you win this three in a row. This is a year that Michael Alessi and Ryan Villapoto are battling for the title. Villapoto wins it, and then we know what kind of career he goes on to have. I mean, you're right in there with those guys. We're talking about Dungey. Uh, I'm sure at this point you've gotten past it, but you must reflect at times. I mean, like, dude, I used to battle Villapoto. I used to race him. I even beat him. Does yeah. that run through your mind? <laughs> yeah, it definitely does. And even I think even 2005 might actually hurt worse 
I mean, Tedesco won the championship, which he's an awesome rider, won a few Supercross championships. But in 05, I won seven motos, but out of 24, I was had the most moto wins. So I just had too many mistakes, too many bad days. So, yeah, it, it stinks looking back, but it's like, hey, that's that's life. That's Life isn't fair. It's not always not always the same. And it's like, man, I wish I could have did things different, but hey, that's in the past now. What are you going to do? Yeah, yep. yeah, absolutely. Yep. Uh, thank you for the time uh, for the Liat Re-Raceables. Uh, Brock, really glad to see you're doing well. Stoked you're getting back racing. Um, I like Why can't? This was a good job to catch up with, with Hepler. You threw it out there, and I'm like, whoa, yeah, let's – Let's catch up I, with Brock. So I don't know why. Nobody catches up with Brock Hepler. Nobody does, but I'm telling everybody, you used to beat Ryan Villapoto. <laughs> this is hey, this is not a slouch here. I even see old photos, Jason. Yeah, he was him and I went back in the day when I was doing those local races. That's oh yeah. Started with the Coombses and, and racer production. So yeah, we even Jason and I, we go way back. Oh, yeah, yeah. I had to break in. There were three guys I had to talk to every weekend. The three fast guys were mm-hmm. Mathis. Are you ready? Yeah. It was Gene Stull. Yeah. It was Brock Hepler and Billy Ersick. Those were our three fast guys. Oh, jeez. Oh, wow. There we go. <laughs> and occasionally Sander, occasionally Sander would poke in again yeah, yeah, and yeah. still rip. Wow. Ersick and <laughs> yeah. Stull just sitting there wondering what happened. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What year you start then, Jason, with the racer production? Uh, oh, End of 01. End of 01. So, yeah, I think you were a B class at the time. So, Jessamine was already pro then? Yeah, yeah, I was after Jessamine. It was pretty crazy to think what a group had come through there at one point between you and Jessamine and Stoll. Uh, that's a lot of fast guys from the same spot in a very short amount of time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and he, like you said, even Suzuki back in, they, they were like top of the world, all of us amateurs, and they hired Carmichael. Yeah. Like the best team out there. Yeah, it's a little different. The, if if it all happened again now, you'd be riding a KTM or something. It's like everything just switched. They just switched the color, and otherwise it's the same. Huge team, tons of riders, same bosses. Yep. <laughs> uh, all right, yeah. Thanks for having me, guys. No problem. Thank you, Brock. Appreciate the time. Glad you're well, man. Thank you. Yep. See you, man. Good stuff there. Uh, yeah, I, you know, always a nice guy. I, I I've yep. barely had inter- any interactions with Brock Hepler in my life. I did a podcast with him. Check the check the archives for that. Uh, maybe talked to him two or three times. And always a nice guy. Always cool. Yeah, uh, it's kind of weird. I guess you were kind of because 08, was 08 his last year. Uh, yeah, o- yeah, yeah. Oh eight. Yep. Yeah. So um, yeah, your media thing was just starting. I guess by the time um, Hepler was. Around, yeah, yep. You would probably interviewed him a few times, though. I would yeah, guess. I would think here and there, right, a little bit, but yeah, not much, not much. I didn't have a a ton yeah. of interaction with him, but um, yep. I, you know, you knew he was fast, that's for sure. Interesting. I did not know Weege, the Yamaha deal was done. I uh, I don't remember. Again, I wasn't at a ton of these races. I wasn't doing a ton of media stuff. I was. I didn't even start a podcasting yet in '06. Uh, I did not know the Yamaha deal was done. Interesting. That's uh, yeah, that's funny. Yeah, yeah, they were really. Loading, loading up with him and Hill. It looked like they maybe had the two be- – you know, or you could argue they were the two top prospects. They were right there with anybody else, and they had both. And um, honestly, neither worked out. No, no, they neither never they out. never yeah. did. Uh, I, I didn't mention it to Brock, but, you know, the next week – so he wins three in a row at the end of 06. But the next week, it's GH, and, and, and that was never a good track for Brock oh, Hepler. Yeah. <laughs> 6-16 <laughs> on the day. He's probably like, what the hell am I doing out here? You know, so. that is crazy. He yeah. wins three nationals in a row and then goes six sixteen. Yep. Yep. 
Wow. Yeah. Yes, not a Glenn Helen not, specialist. Not a not a West Coast GH specialist by any means, uh, no. Brock Hepler. Um, but no. yeah, interesting to uh, to ha- hear him say that about the Yamaha deal was already done, and, and yeah, I had no idea. So, and again, that bike wasn't very good. So good job for Brock Hepler. That bike was behind the other ones. There's no doubt about it. You know. Um, oh yeah, the famous Kawazuki. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then the Yamaha wasn't yep. much better. He got to a bike that uh, wasn't much better at Yamaha either. So, um, I think it's, it's true. Uh, no, that was uh, we built a bike for Millsaps at Yamaha when I was there, and we sent it out to for Davey to ride. Um, a two fifty. A two fifty. Yep. Uh, when wow. we were trying to get him, so that would have been four oh six, right? For the oh six season. Uh, yes, because he was on Honda. Yeah. In 06, yeah. So that yeah. Was so he's switching. Right. Wow. So that would have been at the end of his Suzuki reign. Yeah. Um. Mm. Anyways. Uh. Again. So people for for giggles, go look at Brock Hepper's results in the vault. They're pretty damn impressive, man. And uh, what could have been for him, but he sounds like he's in a good place and. And everything else. Thank you to uh, Maxis uh, Tires, of course, uh, Scott Goggles, Pro Taper, and the folks at Liat. Liat.com. Again, send me an uh, uh, email if you want using the contact form on Pulp, and I will uh, get you a, uh, a code to save with, uh, with the folks at Liat. So, um, all right, time for categories? Let's do it. All right, Liat, raceables categories. Uh, again, we'll go through this uh, a little bit here. Who really won the race? Well, I mean, I guess. I mean, we're talking oh, we're talking 250 class here, but we're talking both in a little bit. Um, so, I, I mean, because because Carmichael lapped second, and be, and again, not my feelings, but the general feelings of this just being, you know, an all time Ricky Carmichael moment, and oh my god, I can't believe he lapped second. Uh, I'll go Carmichael because he lapped second, and that's what everybody. I mean, if we had Ricky here and asked him, what are the top five things people want to talk to you about? Wouldn't that be in, the top, in his top five? Yeah, that's a really good point. It probably is. That race where you lapped everybody. Right. And I bet you even he knows that, hey, it was mud. But, yeah, it probably gets brought up all the time. Yeah, I, I There's, think so. I, I got to stress that people need to check this out on YouTube because the, the scenes of Stu trying to get up this hill. You see, at one point he goes off the track, like to the bottom. And, yeah, makes a, and then makes a swing, swings out, and then tries to make it again. Yeah. Yeah, and gets all the way to the top and then washes the front and yeah. then still crashes. And then the Omaha guys are taking their jackets off to wipe off his grips. Um, it's 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 one of the it's not the worst mud race ever, but it's no. it's pretty bad. Yeah, I still put uh, high point up there. It's probably the worst one. Ninety seven high point. Um, oh, okay, yeah, but yep. yeah, it's it's in the mix. Uh, what do you think? Who really won the race? What do you think? I mean, yeah, I was going to do the same thing. Um, there's no doubt that uh, out of all Carmichael's things, that that is lapping the field is still brought up a lot. I agree with you that it's a little overstated. But whatever, man. He lapped the field, and people are going to talk about it forever. All right. Uh, next category, who's that guy? I'll go back to the 450 class. 20th in the second moto, so you know he's a mud specialist in the 450 class. Ashley Waskob from State <laughs> College, PA. Maybe he's a, a, a district racer X local, but I don't. never heard of Ashley Waskob. He got a point. He went 25-22, or 25-20. So 25th in the first moto means he was legit, close to points. Um, and then 20th in the mud on a Yamaha. I have no idea who Ashley Waskob is. Yeah, you nailed it. He was just another one of those Jessamine Hepler, Stull, local dudes. Um, but I will agree here. I remember Ash Waskob being fast locally, maybe having some good motos at Loretta's here and there. But I wasn't sure if he ever had scored a point uh, at a national. I mean, that's quite a feat. So... It almost surprised me a little bit, too. I'd heard of him, but I didn't know he got a point in a moto. That's impressive. Do you have a guy, or is that your guy? A guy I have not heard of at all? Yeah. 
Right. Um, yeah, I do not know. Because you had who, heard this Ash Washcott. Yes. Yeah, so, yeah. so for for me, yes, I've heard of him. Uh, the the guy I haven't heard of is uh, Terry Auten, thirty second, twenty seven, twenty eight in the four fifty class. I have not heard of him. Mich- Michigan guy, Michigan Mafia. How about that? Yeah. There we go. Uh, yeah. All right. Next category: Lit Reraceables, Lit Kit Award. Well, again, in second motos, nobody had any lit kits at all. Um, yeah. I'm gonna go that no fear. Factory connection guy. If it, it's not Geico, then it must be I don't know who it is. Uh, Lucas Oil or or not Lucas? I don't know who who whose title of Geico in '06 uh, was it was Geico? Amsoil maybe. Amsoil. I don't think it was Geico at that time. Okay. Anyways, JG's look really good. No fear stuff. Uh, well, okay. I, I oh. was gonna say that, but aren't I? I believe weren't they shift? Wasn't the 250 guy shift and then K Dub was. Oh. Yeah, it no was fear. shift. Okay. Yes. My, it looked good, though. The shift stuff looked good. Yeah. Again, I'm it watching did. on YouTube, uh, but. Oh, good luck. Well, you know who did not have lit kit? It was uh, Brock Hepler. <laughs> it, it, he, oh, wait. He was shift also, but it didn't look good, dude. No. Wait. I think he was O'Neill this year. Was he O'Neill at that point? I think he was okay. O'Neill, but but uh, I'll go JG with that. That shift stuff looks really good at this point. It's really racy red and blue and black and yeah, really like that. I actually wanted to go with the same. I, if you want to talk the clean look, they really had that clean look dialed back then, and there was a lot of gear that wasn't. Uh, but because I'm going to go different than you, I will then go with Wyndham's No Fear. The No Fear stuff was always awesome. Mm-hmm. And I feel like they really tuned it for K-Dub. Like, K-Dub was one of their original guys. So I thought K-Dub's stuff always looked good. So I'll go with K-Dub's uh, the same team, but No Fear gear in the 450 class. All right, fair yep. enough. Uh, where's JT? Well, again... Forty twenty-five on the day for our guy JT. DNF Moto One. Who knows? Early DNF too at that. So God knows what happened to him and Frank probably losing his mind. Forty twenty-five for JT. So not yeah, a good day. Not a good day for JT. Get stuck on the hill. Whole deal. I remember uh Davey doing an interview with Chad Reed uh after this race, and it was funny because you assumed at this point that Reed and Stu hated each other, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but apparently they were like broing down on this hill during the race. And it was like eye opening to hear it, hear him talking like him and Stu are laughing about being stuck. And it's like, wait, I, you, you speak to each other. Like this is, <laughs> you've had a conversation and yeah. you laughed. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's a good point. Yep. Um, all right. The Jacob Marsak award for the, uh, a winner of the award of the rider who did the best that you've never have no idea about at this particular race. There's only one eligible rider really. I mean, you can go with David Villeman for second as a privateer, but I mean, it's Stevie. He was, you know, he's a, plus he's Euro, so it's Muddy, so second place. I mean, that's a great job for him. He was stoked. I, I remember he told me he made a bunch of money because he had a, a big contingency. But there's no doubt the Jacob Marsak Award for this race <laughs> has to go to Shane Sewell, fifth place in the second moto, uh, Indiana. Of course, Travis and Shane Sewell, privateer brothers for a long time. He goes 12-5 on the day, fifth place in Moto2, beating factory riders like Preston and, and, and Millsaps and Reed and Stu and these guys. Uh, uh, there's no doubt for me the Jacob Marsak Award is Shane Sewell. Yeah, this award is made for Shane Sewell. It is. He it really is. the world <laughs> that he went 12-5, seventh overall, and fifth in a Moto in a 450 National against the best. Like, this is a decent field. Yeah. Yeah. Wyndham was in there, Stu, Carmichael, Reed, Villeman. What what was up with uh, Millsaps is there? What what was up with Red Dog on this day? Thirty four eight. What happened? This is Moto Triple X Red Dog. 
They probably didn't even have pressure oh, washers. Oh, okay. They probably didn't even have yeah. a pressure washer, or they had no parts or <laughs> no hand guards or God knows what would happen. Right. But, but, of course, he would uh, turn it around later on after this race and, and get that ride at Cowie. But, uh, yeah, yeah, that's right. Okay, yes, this is the privateer year, the, the post-Mathis but he, year. But he, uh, he is a not a mud specialist either, just like JT, Florida guys, right? They're not great mud guys. So he was never – never. Uh, oh, I see. They might have ridden in the rain a lot. Nah, no, like no, no. 99 yeah. Bud's Creek. Uh, he was he had gotten fifth overall at High Point on the first ride on the Chaparral bike. And then we went into Bud's in the mud. Remember 99 Bud's was muddy? And yep. he went like 18, 24 or something and like barely crashed all day. Like, yeah, just mud was not his thing. So, wow. Okay. Um, um, oh, anyway, good yeah. job. If you had told me Shane Sewell ever got fifth in a 450 moto, I'd have been like, come on, what? Yeah. yeah. There it is. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yep. Shout out for Brandon Butler, too. 2630. I was going to bring that up. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Not Forrest Butler to the no. team owner, his brother. That was pretty impressive. Yeah, yeah. I thought I thought Forrest was the fastest one, but maybe it was Brandon. I don't know. No idea. Yeah, remember, the first moto was dry. So, yeah. A, you had to qualify, yeah. not in the mud. And uh, he got 26th in the first moto when it was dry. And same thing, you know, Sewell got 12th in the first moto in the dry. So, these mm-hmm. are not uh, flukes. No, no, absolutely not. Yep. So, congratulations to all of our award winners on the uh, Liat Re-Raceables. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. Thanks to Liat, Maxis, Scott, Pro Taper, all on board with us. Thanks to you people for listening. Uh, Weege, anything else? 2006 Millville? Brock Hepler, never forget. He was really good. Yep. That's a perfect way to sign this off. Absolutely. That's it. He was he was really good. All right, thanks Weege. See ya.